0: Hey guys, I'm Jade Ivine, and welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About It. You know, I was thinking we'd start this episode off with something that's been on my mind. I always end these interviews asking my guests about a way in which they're working on themselves and I thought I'd share a way that I'm working on myself. Recently, my therapist called me out for overusing the phrase I'm sorry. I'm sorry is great and it's something that took me a while to get comfortable saying at all. But once I learned, well, it sort of got out of control. I'd apologize profusely for anything, for simply existing or even just taking up oxygen in the room. So when my therapist called me out, I looked through old text messages and emails, and much to my horror, saw that she was absolutely right. In many ways, women are conditioned to be sorry, over-apologetic, or overly deferential for everything. I knew it was a habit I had to break and had to break quickly. So I'm working on turning my sorries into thank yous. Instead of saying, oh my God, I'm so sorry you had to wait, instead saying, thank you for waiting for me. There's a time and place for I'm sorry, but I was using it as a tool to try to let people know how self-aware I was when in reality, I hadn't done something that actually required an apology. Sorry I'm venting so much and dumping this all on you can just as easily be thank you for listening to me and for always being there for me. I read that while an apology shows that you acknowledge that you've made a mistake or inconvenience someone... Thanking them shows that you've thought about a situation from their perspective and appreciate the effort they've made for you. So that's it. That's my goal of the week, turning sorries into thank yous. Today I have an amazing episode with the wonderful Jamie Lynn Sigler. When I met Jamie, it was because I had a dream of starting this podcast, and because she had two of her own, I was just dying to pick her brain. And maybe also selfishly, I wanted to meet Meadow Soprano. Honest to God, if I hadn't met her, I don't know if we'd all be here because she was so open and gave me such insight and advice about the world of podcasting that she just made the whole thing so much less scary. And she didn't even know me. She's just that kind of person. Similarly, Jamie takes some of the most daunting topics and makes you feel like everything is going to be okay in the end. Jamie let us in on what it's like to get divorced at an early age, struggle with an eating disorder, how she found who she really was, and how being diagnosed with MS at 21 changed her life. You'd think any of these things would be enough to stop her, but oh no, not even close. Jamie attacks life full speed with this powerful yet calming force that makes her one of the most impressive and strongest women I've ever known. You might know Jamie as mafia daughter Meadow Soprano for the 10 years The Sopranos was on air. She also played a heightened version of herself on Entourage alongside then-boyfriend Jerry Ferrara, a.k.a. Turtle. She's done theater, she's been on Broadway, where she played Belle from Beauty and the Beast, which is my dream. And now this overachiever hosts not just one, but two successful podcasts. She hosts parenting podcast Mama Said with musician Jenna Paris as well as the Pajama Pants podcast with her Sopranos co-star Robert Eiler and YouTube comedian Kasim G. Jamie is an actress, a podcast host, and an unbelievable mother to her sons Bo and Jack. There's truly nothing this woman can't do, and she is a force to be reckoned with. When I first met her, I couldn't believe that someone so thoughtful, kind, and generous was also this unbelievably famous actress. Trust me when I say Jamie is a gift to womankind, and she is such a bright light that illuminates all of those in her orbit. I'm thrilled you guys get to hear her many words of wisdom and experience firsthand just how incredibly strong this woman really is. Jamie, hi. Hi. Welcome on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I mean, having me on, you're on my (laughs) podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. This is also my podcast. (laughs) This is your third podcast. You have two podcasts. I'm like so nervous because I'm with the podcast extraordinaire. Oh my gosh, not even. I feel like I'm such a like,
1: like hacker like i feel like i'm not really a podcaster because i will say jamie
0: is in her closet right now for those of you who can't see i am well you know the school is canceled everything's canceled it's the only
1: quiet place in my home
0: yes it's salvation in your closet yes uh can you believe it's been a year since we met I can't believe that. It's been over a year.
1: It's been over a year. And I told you all about my podcast, like this little (laughs)
0: idea that I had back then. And then now we're here. It was a big idea. It was a yes, it was a great big idea. Um, And you were so nice to answer so many of my questions. But I left and I was like driving home or something. And I read I was like, oh, you were going to be on Bravo that night on Watch What Happens Live. And I was like, God damn it. Why didn't I talk to her about Bravo? (laughs) I was like favorite thing to talk about. I didn't realize you were as crazy as I am about oh, Housewives gosh, and all that. I
1: love you even more. Yes. You know, it's like this thing that I'm, like, very hesitant to bring up, but when it can come up, I'm like, oh,
0: great, you're my people. Okay, I know. So, like, things like BravoCon and stuff, everyone was like, Jade, you have to go. Are you so excited? I was like, I don't really love to, like, categorize myself as that, you draw that the world. line
1: somewhere. You're you're a classy Bravo. It's you're like I'm crazy. a closeted Bravo fan.
0: <laughs> like, right. and but I'm a. Re- I have seen every episode ten times. Like I've rewatched oh. every season a hundred times. Sometimes
1: I. Sometimes that's when probably the only time I really judge myself is when i'm sitting and having some free time and watching an episode of oc housewives for the fourth time when i'm like I know there are so many more productive things i can be doing with my life i, know. I have watched this multiple times but damn it's I, so
0: good you're preaching to the choir because like i've memorized every episode i'm <laughs> sick in the head like truly sick in the head um okay so i really i mean i could talk about bravo for this entire podcast but i will I'll come back again and we'll just yes do bravo. exactly okay great, great. Perfect. So you've lived such a colorful, big life and you've had so many different lives and there've been so many iterations of, you know, who you are. And I wanted to start off by talking about your 20s, um, just because I think that your 20s, I mean, I'm 27 and I can say that your 20s feel like what the hell is happening? You know, like it's filled with mistakes and failures and heartbreaks and rejections. And I think they're some of the most formative, but also some of the most Miserable and important years of your life, and I, so I first wanted to talk to you about when you were twenty-one. Okay. So who was Jamie Lynn Sigler at twenty-one?
1: Gosh, you know, Jamie at twenty-one was living a life that was too much for her mm-hmm. in a way that I—I um, I had put this pressure on myself that I. Should know more, had to act like I knew more, had to act like I knew everything. I wasn't going to ask questions, was just going to fake it till I made it. Had everything under control, keeping that facade, was in a very mature relationship, about to get married. I should not have been. I was way too young. When did you get married? I got married when I was 22. So I was when engaged to a man that was 10 years older than me. Wow. And so I think I was like, playing catch up to him and his life. And I was on this big show and I...
0: You were on The Sopranos
1: at the time. I was on The Sopranos and I wasn't one to ever ask for help. It was just Mm -hmm. like my attitude was like, I got this, I got this, I got this. But really underneath, I had nothing. And on top of that, I was also hiding the fact that I was living with a very serious disease, MS. So at 21, I was not living the carefree college life that all of my friends were living. I was living, like I said, a life that was too much for me.
0: Right. So what do you remember being insecure about? Like, were you insecure that you were young because you were dating someone so much Mm -hmm. older? You were just diagnosed with a big Mm -hmm. chronic illness, you know, which we're going to get into later in the segment. But that must have been humongous.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I just felt... Not enough for everything in my life, and I was never gonna let on to that. But I just felt like so inadequate, and I just did not feel capable of handling it. And it's it baffles my mind
0: that I was not in therapy, that like I had nothing, I had no tools, I had no one. And but such were the times, like, yeah, you're right. right, like a lot of people probably weren't going to therapy, you know, there weren't the resources there are today. Yes, that's very 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 true.
1: And you know at the same time it was like I was also blessed. You know, right. I had all this I had this show, I had everything, so I I shouldn't have had anything to complain about, yeah. you know, it should all be great and so yeah. I think that I just listened to a lot of people and I right. listened to what everybody told me and it definitely, you know, I don't like to say I have regrets, but there's definitely were things that I know I would have done differently now. Um, But Mm -hmm. that's life. I mean, you know, hindsight's 2020. So yeah,
0: you can't have regrets because it all led you here. But yeah, there were definitely bumps and bruises along the way.
1: Oh, yes. And you know, and then I look back at it, too. And I'm I think I had so many Resources, like you said, I had so many resources around me that yeah. I could have utilized. Right. And I think because of my attitude in the way of just meaning like the way I carried myself and presented myself, I don't know that they even caught on that I needed it or maybe yeah. felt like they
0: should ask me. So I because you're in a grown-up world and you're mm-hmm. not really a grown-up yourself at 21. No, you're like exactly. your frontal lobe is still forming. It's you're, you you do not know who you are yet. So it's probably like, should we help this girl? Like she seems so old and mature because she's doing this grown-up job and she's around all of us. They probably didn't know how to step in. You're absolutely right. Exactly
1: right. I do not think anybody knew how to step in. And I think for my parents, I think they were probably in some state of denial too. And thinking yeah. that I was being taken care of by this older man right. and it was fine and everything was okay when it was the opposite. So how long were you married? I was married for two and a half years. I was with him for five. Wow. But yeah, I mean, like, I'm never one to say, like, you shouldn't get married till you're this, this, this. Yeah. But I really do feel like <laughs> nobody has any business getting married in their, especially in their early 20s. Like you said, until your frontal lobe is fully developed, like,
0: do not it's mess true. with that. So then when, so you, how old were you when you were divorced? 24. 24. So before I asked about you at 25, what were your friendships like at 21 when you were in just such a different world than all of your other friends? You were yeah. getting married and had a career when you're all your friends are like doing keg stands. Yeah.
1: Well, I always kind of lived, you know, growing up, I always had, I felt like two lives. Mm-hmm. Like I had my lives. I went to public school on Long Island. I had all of my friends. I did all I could with them. But then I also had this career that I was trying to build for That's myself nice, and that, you're a- that
0: you were able to have those two lives.
1: So, so nice. And I attribute that to my parents and, you know, cause I used to beg my mom to like put me in the professional children's school in New York city. Of course, and She was like, no, you're, yeah. you're gonna, you're gonna have this balance. And I'm so grateful for that. So, you know, I had like my theater friends and then I had my school friends and I kind of got to, you know, develop both sides of myself and, so, you know, when I was 21, you know, I would visit my friends in college, but then I would go back to like my apartment and my job and and all of this. So I, I had many different groups of people around me, mm-hmm. which was nice because I felt like, you know, every once in a while I could tap in to right. really where I was at in my life. Totally. Um, but I remember it being really surreal at my wedding at 22 when all of my high school friends were there. And, you know, because at 22, you're still really in touch with all of them. Oh, like, of course. Right now, it's like, yes. you know, probably half of that. But I was going to ask we're... about that after. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have a good core group of girlfriends that I still speak to that I grew up with. But, you know, it was weird. Like, they were looking at me being like, holy shit, like Jamie's getting married and like, look at all these people at her wedding and this
0: is crazy. And like, we're going back to finish our senior year of college. And like, is Tony Soprano at this wedding?
1: Yes. And it's just, (laughs) it's just
0: bizarre for them. And it was
1: bizarre for me, to be honest, because it it was a little bit of an identity thing for me. Mm -hmm. And that there was maybe, in hindsight, I'm thinking like, maybe some moments too where I felt like,
0: is this too soon? Yeah. Oh, you did. Like, Mm -hmm. did you have that moment like, before were you so caught up before you were walking down the aisle or do you remember having those thoughts and just like being like drowning them out you know trying to ignore them yeah I think I was
1: very caught up in it all Mm -hmm. but there were there were moments and there were flashes of just kind of being almost just like looking at them and longing for an innocence that Mm -hmm. I no longer had Mm -hmm. of like a carefreeness that I couldn't remember the last time I was able to possess. Wow. That wow. I would quickly shuffle away, but they were real. Those mm-hmm. moments were real
0: for sure. Yeah. You're like, when, when was the last time I was allowed to be just a kid? And when was the last time I didn't there were no repercussions to my actions, you know, like classic. Yes,
1: or I didn't feel like I was being watched over or judged, right, or you know, right. where, when it was the last time I allowed myself to make any mistakes, let alone right. anybody
0: else. You That's know? huge. Yeah. So then you, so you got divorced at twenty four. Did you initiate the breakup, or how did um, that? I
1: think that you know we were
0: not right for mm-hmm. each other, and I think that
1: it start. You know, when you meet somebody at nineteen years old, and he was thirty. I assumed oh, okay. he knew, knew the world. Right. And I did like the smartest person you've ever met. Exactly. And, you know, he came on and he started managing me and it was oh. just like my whole life was, you know, taken care of by him. Mm-hmm. And as I'm getting older and I'm 23, 24, I'm not saying yes to everything necessarily. Mm. I have an opinion. I have a voice and that's and different that than who we met. Totally. And, you know, it wasn't pretty and it wasn't easy. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't a like quick, well, this didn't work by like, it was a very, very stressful, really rough divorce, especially because there was moments where, and I think this was too, because I was young and my parents, had gotten, you know, had loved him too. and it was such an intimate thing that, you know, like he would talk to my parents, and I would ask him not to talk to him. But right. I went through this whole period. I didn't speak to anyone in my family except my brothers. Wow. and because he was um, still talking to them. Mm-hmm. And wow. I felt really betrayed. and I just felt like I didn't have anyone, and I wasn't mm-hmm. telling anybody at work. Also, MS was starting to manifest because of the stress I was going through. And I'm hiding that at work. I'm hiding my divorce at work. It was just a really difficult time. And I'm actually really grateful because my ex-husband's sister put me in touch with a therapist. Oh, no way. It was the first time I had gone to therapy since I was like a teenager. Yeah. And... He had known my ex-husband and was like, I know who we're dealing with and I'm going to wow. help you through this. And, you know, I remember him helping me write a letter to my parents so I could feel like all of my feelings, no matter their reaction, were heard
0: right? and out was there. Was it a letter that me- was meant to be sent or was it one of those practices where you're like, you just tear up pra- the just, letter after? Yeah, just a okay. practice. Yeah. But I did actually end up giving it to
1: them. Did you? Yeah. And were yeah. they receptive? Very. Very. I mean, look, I mean, it was something new for all of us. None of us had gone through anything like that. And, you know, it. it Your parents are still together, right? They are. Yeah. Yeah. Married 47 years. Oh,
0: my God. So you're probably like, marriage works. Of course it works. It works every time. And they got married in
1: their early 20s and started having babies and this and that. And so. You know, I think it was just like this whole ideal that I had had in my head. And I think there was also this script that I kind of like would would fall along with. Like, yeah, I always wanted to get married young and this is great. And th-. But there was, like I said, there was something underneath me that was like, I-, I always had felt a little bit growing up, that there was a little bit of life that I was missing. Like my friends mm-hmm. always got to go to sleepway camp and do this. Yeah. And I was already living a professional life and having right. to take care of myself and having to save my voice for things. And so mm. there was a little bit, of not resentment, but just feeling like I missed out on, like I said, a little bit of that carefreeness. And I think that, you know, throughout all of this, and even when I would speak that bullshit in interviews and stuff, I, I realize now I'm like, ugh. I think post that is when, like, the younger Jamie got to come out and play for a little right. while and needed to.
0: Well, so that's what I was going to ask. First of all, with your divorce, did you have someone that had been divorced before that helped you find a lawyer? Or, like, how did you even know how to get divorced?
1: We had... So we had a lawyer that we had used as a couple for things that ended up being, like, a mediator, and they found me someone. Oh, okay. They found me a female, a woman that I could talk to that walked yeah. me through everything.
0: Um First of all, it's great that you had a woman, but you had someone that could walk you through it, kind of like defend you, protect you, help you out. Yes. And it was,
1: we never went to court. We had like one day like mediating in a room and it was really difficult, but I remember her like kind of coaching me and walking me through it. And look, I was making a lot of money at that time. Right. And he was my manager. So it got real tricky, but I remember saying to my lawyer, there is no amount of money that I could pay to have this be done. Like there were certain things that they, they wanted to go after and this and that. And I was like, you know what? Let him have it. Totally. I will make this back. It's worth your make, sanity. It's worth my sanity. I can't physically, emotionally handle this anymore. True.
0: It's, I'm fine. I will right. be fine. And, um, and I am. And I was. Wow. So your divorce kind of spit you out on the other side at mm-hmm. 24, 25. Mm-hmm. So who were you after that? Did you have to rebuild your whole life? Were yep. you like? I bet you forgot who you were, you know, like what what you wanted out of life. Like, had no idea. I had no idea. What was that like at 25? It was a bit of a rebirth in
1: just being like, who am I? What yeah. do I want? What do I like to do? Who do I like to connect with? Like, what yeah. makes me happy? How do I let off steam? And in so very many ways, it was liberating. Like, I met this new group of girlfriends in New mm. York, and we were going out all the time, and I was releasing, and I was having fun, and it felt really, really good. But at the same time, I wasn't responsible with the fact that I was living with a very serious chronic illness. Right. And I think because I was symptomatic, but not enough where anyone could tell anything, I kind right. of rebelled against it where I was like, you know, F this. Like mm-hmm. I just went through all of this. I've been mm-hmm. hiding this. Like I'm going to live my life. I don't want to take these injections. They make me feel like shit. Right. Like I rebelled against it everything. And I mean, I wasn't going crazy doing drugs and drinking or anything, but I just, right. I wasn't taking care of myself the way I needed to be. Totally. I think I needed that time though. Yeah. You know, as much as like I paid for it, I think I got like, not mad at myself that I did it because I think that I was like a
0: boiling pot
1: that totally. just needed the lid to come off. That's what I was going to say.
0: You were just like rebelling because you'd been Kept for so long, yes. you probably were just like, fuck it. Like, I can't take this anymore. Like, yes. let me just be free. And like, I totally understand rebelling against medicine and not wanting to take your injections. And it does feed into the like denial, you know, yeah. that you're feeling. And when you're young, you really don't understand consequence. Mm-hmm. Like I'm saying that at 27 and I still barely like where I'm just learning consequences yeah. basically. But it's true. Like when you're 25, like 24, I remember like when I first went on antidepressants, I wouldn't take them for like days. because I was like, screw it. I don't want like I, I don't want depression. Like let's pretend yeah. for today I don't have it, you know. And it was so so I really, really relate with you with wanting to rebel at 25, like in terms of also your health you yes. know? Yes.
1: But you know what? I also did learn in that time though, because, you know, when I was first diagnosed and like with my husband, my family it was like, let's keep this a secret. We're not telling yeah. anybody. We're not telling anybody. Yeah. And so when I wasn't married and I didn't have like that person, I had a very tight core group of girlfriends that I did tell. Mm-hmm. And it felt really good to be able to depend on them and feel protected by them. Totally. Um, You know, I don't think I would have been able to get through it had I not had that support system. So it was really an important lesson for me to learn that people like love me and protect me and honor my decision to keep
0: it quiet and like cover up anything and help me through it all. Well, that's incredible. We're going to get more into that because I'm really curious about keeping it a secret and what the ins and outs of that felt like. Yeah. But so did you ever struggle with not knowing who you are? Like, did you ever feel like only up until very recently?
1: Really? Yeah. I really feel like this year is when I tapped into it.
0: No way. Mm -hmm. How old are you? you 39. I'll be 40 in May. Jamie, don't tell me that. I'm like, oh, too long.
1: No, I'm going to give you the shortcuts. (laughs) You do not have to wait that long. I promise. I'm like, I don't want to wait that long. Please don't make me wait that long. You don't. Not anymore. I think there's the, our culture is different now. I mean, like, I think, I know people joke about being woke, but like, I just think we are, we are becoming more awake Yeah, we are. Species. We're probably more conscious. And I don't think anybody needs to wait until they're 40.
0: No. Okay, good. So I I, I just can't. I just, I won't make it. I will not make it. (laughs) Okay, good. No, you will tell me who I am if I don't figure it out before then. So coming back to like who, knowing who you are, did you struggle with self-esteem? Like after your divorce, how did you rebuild that into Mm -hmm. your 30s? How did you work on that? What things contributed to it changing or improving or... I think that, you know, my self-esteem
1: issues, you know, they fell under different umbrellas, but there were mm-hmm. always issues with self-esteem. So like right. in my teen years, late teen years, early, tw- early, early 20s was weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an eating disorder when I was 16. And then through oh, that time, my weight like severely fluctuated. I mean, I'm talking like 60, 70 pounds. And mm-hmm. so a lot of my self-worth came from physically how I looked.
0: Right. And then it's weird. Think that it's was like- a symptom of acting? Or do you think that was just control, control, totally control, being perfect,
1: exactly being perfect. And then when I was diagnosed with MS, I think the focus on my body had shifted that oddly enough, like my weight stabilized and I've kind of Mm -hmm. been the same ever since because it wasn't about how I looked it's how I felt totally. And then my self-esteem was all around like my physicality and feeling mm-hmm. shameful that I didn't move like everybody else, or wow. I wasn't as graceful or as
0: sexy as I would Which want Which was the to manifestation be. of your illness. Yes, right, exactly.
1: And then when I became comfortable with that, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, okay, now all of these conversations are off the table. Who mm-hmm. am I? Right. And so that was like the past four years of my life was like, wait a minute. So now everybody knows I have this disease. Nobody cares. They still love me. Right. My body's great. I just birthed two babies. I have a wonderful family, but like, who am I? Right. And so then there was like massive insecurity about like, who am am I? What do I mean to people? What do I bring to the table? And like I said, this year is kind of when I really settled into that. But I was very insecure about all of
0: those things, you know. Right, like throughout. Okay, well, that, I mean, God, I wish I were turning 39 this year then. (laughs) Like, Jesus. But, okay, so let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So I don't know much about MS. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could maybe explain it to us and our listeners who may not know much about it. You've been living with it for 15 years now, right? Almost 20 Almost twenty. Yes. Wow. So I was twenty when
1: I was diagnosed, um, Mm -hmm. but I kept it a secret for fifteen years. Wow. Um, So what MS is? It's multiple sclerosis. It's a neurodegenerative disease. um, There's no known cure. There's no known rhyme or reason of why people get it. What people get it. There are maybe some genetic forms of it. I don't possess that. It's primarily in women. Between the, They get diagnosed between the ages of 20 and 40. Um, mm. But truly, the disease is of the central nervous system. And basically, some switch goes off in your body, and your body, for some reason, views your spine and your brain as a bug that it needs to fight, and it starts to attack. So... We all have, you know, you ever see that picture of the skeleton and there's all of the nerves that come from the brain and your spine to all of your, you know, your fingers, your toes, your legs, all all your muscles. And around each of those nerves is something called myelin, which is like, I'll equate it to like a electric cord. It's like that thick coating around it. So that's Mm -hmm. what takes the signal from your computer to the outlet, right? That power all in there. So the MS attacks that power cord. So there's holes in it. So when I go tell my brain, my brain tells my right foot to pick up because of the holes in that cord, the signal is smaller. Wow. It's weaker. And yeah. for some people it gets completely shut off. Right. And there's no two cases that are the exact same. Everybody wow. is affected differently. They say um I heard Jack Osborne say it's like a fingerprint. Everybody's is different. There are common denominators, there are common symptoms that people have. Yeah. It's not something that's a positive or negative diagnosis. It's kind of something you get to. Um, You can see lesions on the spine and in the brain and MRIs and things like that. And that's how you can tell about disease activity and if it's Mm -hmm. progressing or not. But for me the way it's manifested the way it originally manifested which was very hard for me to deal with in my 20s was bladder incontinence. It's something mm. that was scary and unpredictable. I didn't know when it would happen, I didn't know how it would
0: happen. And that's So that's t- what first kind of made you go to the doctor like something's wrong here
1: yeah, well, I was actually originally diagnosed with Lyme's disease because wow. that happened, and then I was getting like this tingling in my legs, and I had gone to the hospital and through a series of tests after two weeks, they diagnosed me with Lymes and gave me steroids, which is also a treatment for MS. So I think it might have been the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So the following year later, I kind of had similar symptoms and thought I was needed like another antibiotic pulse for the Lymes, mm-hmm. and I was diagnosed with MS. Oh okay. And so then it was like, you know, high heels started to get a little harder for me to last for the evening. And then I would say between the ages of 20 and 30, um, I lost my ability to run at the age mm-hmm. of 26. Not to make it sound so, you know, like poetic, but the literal last physical time I was ever able to run was the final scene of Sopranos that I ever shot where Meadow was running across the street. Like the last the time chills. you ever see her was the last time I've ever been able to run. The very next day, I remember I left my apartment and went to go hail a cab and my legs just stalled. Oh. And it was like some higher being, I think, that looked out for me that like got me
0: through that time. Wow. Jamie, I have the chills. That's insane. Crazy, right? That is insane. Yeah. So it's on, it's taped also your last time running. Yeah. And you know
1: what's <sighs> cool is I actually, somebody oh tagged God. me
0: um, the other day because I've, I've,
1: we'll talk about this, but I've gotten like yes. very heavy into in meditation. as of late and like trying to call experiences Mm -hmm. to myself while I'm meditating. And I was thinking about myself running. And when I came out of the meditation, a couple hours later, I went on Instagram and somebody tagged me in a picture and it was a picture of me running like that last moment of me running. So it's like, wow, those are things that I just, I refuse to give up on that. I won't be able to do again one day because you know, that's, we take it for granted, but to me, that's like, A feeling of freedom and joy that I, you know, can find in many other ways. But, you know, one of the things that MS, you know, has taken away from me.
0: Right. Also, do the symptoms get worse? They can. So, yeah, I
1: would say, you know, in those five rebellious years of mine, they got worse. With poor medical
0: management. Yes.
1: They definitely got worse. I started to develop a little bit of a limp. And it started to get harder to hide. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so I would lie. And I would lie at work and say I had a back problem or I hurt
0: my foot and I got away with it. So let's talk about the lying because, you know, there's lying to, you know, the world, like the Mm -hmm. media. Then there's lying to the people that hire you Mm -hmm. and, you know, you're professionally. And then there's like your friends and family. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, was it ever an option to just keep it to yourself? Or were you like, I got to let my parents in. I got to let someone in.
1: I think I was, I mean, I was, you know, I was still so kept mm-hmm. at that time. Do you know, even though I was 20, yeah, like I, everybody was like, my parents, my husband. You were like infantilized. Yeah. Yeah. So they all knew. But mm-hmm. then I was instructed, you don't tell anybody this.
0: Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay.
1: So it was a very oh. tight, close circle of people that knew. Um, yeah. but Yeah. But, but we all lived in denial about it. Right. You know, we didn't
0: talk about it. Yeah, it wasn't a reason why you couldn't do anything. It wasn't a valid excuse for not showing up to a brunch or whatever. Nope. Nope. Wow. I feel like when someone tells you to lie about something, especially something like a disease or a mental health issue or whatever, you inherently, you can't help but internalize it. And you just feel like it's something you should be ashamed of, even if you weren't in the first place. So when you were first diagnosed, you were like, you probably didn't know much about MS at all, and you're this young actress who probably felt like always be perfect, be on set on time, look the part, you know, don't ask for anything, don't make any noise, don't take up any space. Mm -hmm. How did you finally come to the point where you were like, okay, I got to be open about this with my career. Or yeah. were, you, were you terrified that people wouldn't hire you because of this? Yeah, I, of course I was scared about not being hired. I think it's too, cause I was still wrapping my own
1: head around it and like yeah. what it meant in my life. And I think that I was dealing with my own acceptance of myself and this disease that until I really got there, I wasn't going to be able to like, let anyone else accept it or decide right. about what, what it meant
0: Totally
1: for me. Um, but you know, the years that I kept it secret and lied and worked were terrible.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, they were, you know, I, I remember my first real job after Sopranos was entourage and mm-hmm. I was dating Jerry Ferrara at the time and right. he knew, so he mm-hmm. was there to kind of help me and protect yeah. me. And again, like I wasn't so symptomatic that you, you knew something was wrong, but I just had at least somebody there. Like, would you get tired or what I don't get was... tired. It was just more like, like I think I need to sit down. Or okay. like, my, my, my legs are getting really stiff right now and I might start right. limping. So he'd be like, can
0: we get me and Jamie a chair? I want to sit. Like, yeah. he would protect then, me in that pe- way. when people would say, like, what's? why are you limping? What would you say? My back. My back. Okay. Yeah. My knee, my
1: back. I broke my foot. Like, my yeah. toes. Like, I don't know. I came up with all all these crazy excuses and they worked. Right. But the truth is I was miserable. Mm. I could barely focus on my craft and my mm-hmm. acting because I was just wanting to get through the day without anybody right. raising a flag.
0: Right. It was it's probably hard to think of anything else anything when you're else. Trying, trying so hard to keep this secret. I was just trying to get through the day. One yeah. more day where nobody knew. One. Okay, there's another day. Did you ever think like, okay, when I'm 40, I'm going to come out with it. No. There's going to, there's an, there's an expiration date to this. I uh, guess I would just fantasize that like
1: when I was healed from it, I would come oh, out about it. Right. And also during this time, I was spending all of my money on every... New age treatment. This person will heal you or this person will heal you. going to Fly to the Dominican Republic and pay $75,000 for stem cells from, you you're know. You're
0: desperate at that point. Desperate. Completely yeah.
1: desperate. And it reeked all over me.
0: Really? Yeah. Like you you can see it like in hindsight in interviews and stuff. You can probably see it like coming out of your pores. You know, you're probably broken. Want... Yes. Oh my gosh. I think so many people can identify with feeling too broken for a relationship or feel that their baggage whatever it may be is a valid reason why someone wouldn't want to be with them or that their baggage in general will just be too much for someone else to handle.
1: You know, it's funny because with all of the insecurities that like we've talked about and and everything, for some reason whenever I was in a re- a relationship, I would feel so loved and secure. Yeah. And maybe oh, it's that's... because I've just been with great men um that the MS never felt like a reason that somebody wouldn't love me. Wow. Every, every guy I had ever been with had been wonderful about it. Completely wonderful. And I think that says a lot about people. You know, I think that that's probably a really big insecurity for people who do live with chronic illness or anything that they feel like makes them less than, which is crazy. But I used to believe that too. So I get it. Mm -hmm. I think that, now looking back, like restores my faith. You know, I think that totally. you, have
0: to, you have to believe that these things don't take away from who you are. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's it right there, what you just said, because whether it's mental health or a chronic illness or whatever it is, whatever your baggage is mm-hmm. that you bring into a relationship, I think learning that it's okay to take space and yes. learning that it's okay to not be perfectly functioning and be able to take care of everyone all the time. I think like that's so amazing that you had great men to help you realize that, but it probably helped you come out on the other side because you'd had positive experiences with sharing it with people.
1: Yes. But just, yes, just not in the business.
0: Right. You know, but
1: that's, that was my own fault because I never tried. I never allowed it. Um, You know, I think, I guess when I was like 31, Mm -hmm. I actually finally had told my manager. Oh, wow. And he was like, 10 years later, 10 years later, I remember him looking at me and being like, I just am so sad that you didn't tell me sooner.
0: Like oh, I feel right.
1: nothing other than just like my heart is broken that I couldn't have been there for you f- through times. Yeah. And I was just like, I wouldn't have allowed it anyway. Like I'm ready to let you be there for right. me as well and protect me. And, you know, because I was, would say no to anything action. And yeah. you know, I would read a script and they were like, she runs up and down the stairs and I'd be like, I'm going to pass. I don't connect You're- with it, but it would literally be one scene. And I would just assume I couldn't do it.
0: Wow. Yeah. So I was going to ask, like, in hindsight, do you think to yourself, like, wow, I'm I'm grateful I had those years of lying, like, because of whatever reason? Or were you like, I should have come out with this when it first happened?
1: I mean, of course, I wish I would have given myself more grace in that time and and given myself support. But I don't know. I I do think that it was perfect. I just do think that I needed to go through all of that. Because even though I was struggling... I really felt very much like I can take care of myself. If that's mm-hmm. what I also got after that divorce was like, I am not letting anyone run my shit anymore. I love I've it. got this. I'm going to go yes. to my doctor's appointments. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make these decisions. And until I met my husband now and let him in to help me with stuff like yeah. for nine years, I was that's in judge. Wow. And so I think that as like I said, as much as that was making myself a martyr and like I took on way too much, I think I was so far on the other end of it that I needed to do that for myself. Right. To now actually allow with grace for other people to help me and still know that I'm like a very strong and capable person.
0: Right, that there's room for that and, that you can be a strong and capable person and need help sometimes. Yes, exactly. So I wonder, you were mentioning that each case of MS is different. It's like a fingerprint, as you said. And that would make me feel lonely. Is that lonely, Hmm. Like, like feeling like no one has the identical... You all are under this, you know, MS yeah. umbrella, but that no one has a similar experience to you. And by the way, being on this pursuit of wanting to be independent and wanting to be self sufficient and not asking for help, you probably felt so lonely all the time.
1: Yeah. You know, I think I felt more lonely about the fact that I couldn't be as present mm-hmm. with things. Like I would be at, Coachella with my friends, right? And yeah. these are my girlfriends that like, no, I have it. They'll all hold my hand. They'll hold me up. They'll stop and sit with me. They'll run with me in the bathroom, whatever it is. Right. But they're having the time and I'm sitting yeah. there clocking. Okay, how far is it to walk to that stage? Should I go pee right. before I go there? Should I, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And I, that's where I would feel lonely. Yeah, I would feel like I am the only one that's thinking about a million other things. Right. Except where I'm at. That can't be carefree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a testament to my friends because they just made me feel so loved and included and be like, you know, fuck you, Jamie. You're not staying at home. You're coming with us, which I'm so grateful they've continued to do for me. But I think that's where I would feel lonely and like that nobody would get it. And I'm also somebody that like prides myself to a fault or not that I never complain and I never say what's going on Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. And
0: so that's lonely as well. A hundred percent. Are you getting better at that? Would you say at
1: I'll, I'll call eight? my husband.
0: Yeah. So you I'm will better me. at it th- that way. Um,
1: yeah. Like, you know, anytime I like have to walk from somewhere to somewhere and I feel even today, like a little self-conscious of like people mm-hmm. are looking at me, like even when I was just on set in the pilot, like, and everyone's yeah. so wonderful. Like, and I just knew that after this long distance, I'm really going to start limping. I'll mm-hmm. just call my husband and he's mm-hmm. like. And he knows, like, we don't have to talk about it. He's like, oh. are you, where are you walking to right now? Oh. I'm like back to my trailer. And he's like, okay, well, here's what's happening at home. And he'll just
0: distract me. Oh, and he knows. your husband sounds incredible. He is. He's the best. Oh, my God. Well, so that brings me kind of to your kids. And I know that they were a big inspiration in you wanting to ultimately come out about your struggle. Can you tell me a little bit about that? How did they inspire you to come yeah. out? Well, I had just had my older one, bow at the time.
1: And... And he was like two, two and a half. And he was really, I mean, you know, they don't question anything. They're just like, mommy can't run. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like mommy, you know, mommy sometimes needs to sit. Okay. Like he just, that's his mommy. But I, he was getting to the age where, you know, you just start talking about these big ideas you don't know if they're understanding them or not, but it's what you want to teach your kids about the world and that, you know, everybody is deserving of opportunity and what's different makes you special. And like, you know, no, don't let anybody tell you, you can't do something. And. I was sitting there thinking, you know, he's obviously going to hear about MS. He's going to eventually know this is something that mommy has in her body. And am I going to ask him to keep that a secret for me? Like what, Mm -hmm. what kind of lesson, like, what is that teaching him? You're deserving of everything, but because mommy has this disease, nobody can know, you know, because they they won't want her or she's not good enough. And so that was a really big Thing that was, you know, eating at me, Mm -hmm. but at the same time I wasn't quite possessing the courage to Mm -hmm. come out about it. And one of my best friends at the time was seeing this hypnotherapist about weight loss. She was had struggled with weight loss for a really, really long time, and he was helping Mm -hmm. her because he was. She's like, I don't know what he's doing when I'm under hypnosis, but it's like 30 minutes of therapy. And then we kind of, we go under and it's just, she started just making better choices, but not feeling like it was for a diet, but it was like for herself because she loves herself. And she's like, I really feel like you could benefit from seeing him just because she's like, I hate that when you walk anywhere, you stare at the floor because, Mm. because I don't like to watch people watch me. I don't like to, I, I just like, I'll keep my head down and pretend that this is not happening. Right. And I went to go see him. I only saw him twice, and I remember when I was walking up to his office he he said to me, "Why are you looking at the floor?" Mm. And I was like well i don't i I just don't like to watch people watch me move." Wow." And he's like, "Okay, so he picked up on that, and we had I did two hypnosis sessions. Mm-hmm. and when I came out of my second one, I was like, "I'm ready to tell people about it. Wow, I don't know what happened, but it was just this thing where it was like, Fuck it. I've done yeah. nothing wrong. I Enough. am tired yeah. of feeling shameful and guilty for yeah. something that has happened to me. Like I I can't do this. I'm ready to see what my life is like 100%. without this. I have my family. I have my husband. If this means that my career is over, then my career mm-hmm. is over and I will find mm-hmm. something else because I just I can't I don't deserve this anymore. You,
0: you no, know, exactly. You can't keep the secret like any longer, it probably just got so insane. And whether we keep this in the episode or not, I just have to tell you from my own experience. So first of all, my mom is wonderful. Jamie, I think you would love her. Um, and she struggled with clinical depression for a lot of my childhood. I My family kept it a secret because there weren't the resources that there are now, and there wasn't the awareness that there is around mental illness. And that secrecy Has really carried into my adulthood. So I can just tell you that not giving your child this complex of a secret is such a gift. It's such it's so important. Like, I can't even tell you how important it is to be able to, like, give him the freedom to tell other parents at school that my mommy has this or my Mm -hmm. mommy deals with this, because if he had to keep it a secret, that shame immediately transfers oh. like a print onto him oh, I'm so, so I think I like, for you and that you know but do I that. just but thank you for sharing that yeah well that's what I that's what I work on in therapy yeah. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah but it's like it's a big thing secrecy is hard on kids yeah
1: you know it's funny you say that because there was this time so when I sit for a long period of time I get really stiff mm-hmm. and so when I stand up it's like it feels like a almost like a shock that goes through my body and I gotta kind of like let it like something's grabbing every inch right. of my body. And so then taking it takes and it's me to like a minute. calibrate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so when I was driving my son to preschool one day and we drove from our house, so it's a long so I was kind of getting a car a little stiff, getting out, and it's this hustle and bustle. You know, when you drop mm-hmm. the kids off, get through the carpool line, right. let's go, let's go. I think Bo was maybe three at the time and we were walking and the security guard was kind of shuffling us along and he goes, Excuse me, can you wait? My mommy's slow. Oh. and just was and he was just like, put his hand out to hold my hand. And it's just was the sweetest. And even. Oh, I'm the, like, I'm going to I'm going to cry right now. I know the You're other not. day we were at basketball because I'm still trying to find a ways for him to see like his friends. Like, it's just yeah. been so hard on it's, these kids this past year. Right. With no Impossible. connection with other kids. And so we've been doing this outdoor basketball cast with three other boys. And it's up this long staircase, whatever. And I get there. It's fine. I take my time. I tell him, go ahead, run yeah. up. I'll meet you there. We were leaving, and he—the kids had given out like Christmas cookies, and whatever—and his hands were all full, and he was so excited to run down to meet my husband and my other son down by the car. And he was running down the stairs, and halfway through, he turned around and goes, "Oh my god, mommy! Do you need oh. me to help you right now? I've got like, let me go put this in the car, and I'll come back and help you." And I was like, "Did you well, birth an angel?
0: I did." I was I'm like, like well, "Oh my I'm okay. god! Okay, I
1: promise. Like, don't worry." And he's like, "All right," but I just thought, you know god what? I used him. to always think about what this was going to take away from my experience mm-hmm. with them. Like I wasn't the mom that was like running across the park with them and right. chasing them and making them laugh and right. throwing them in the air. And I would look at that longingly at these other moms mm-hmm. and be like, "Ugh, I wish I could do that for my kids, be that for them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when things like that happen, I'm like, maybe yeah. I'm raising a more conscious and aware yes. man that, A hundred and fifty percent. Well, just
0: look out and realize that sometimes it's nice to like make sure
1: and ask if people need help.
0: Yeah, because everyone's got something that makes them, you know, them, that makes their their life hard. And and as you say in some other interviews, that's your something. Yes. You know, you're right. So what's your advice for someone? Two things. What's your advice for someone who's going through it, who is just diagnosed Mm -hmm. or is you know, maybe where you were and when you were in your thirties is like not ready to come out about it, but is diagnosed. And then what's your advice for someone who has a loved one who was just diagnosed? Mm-hmm. How, what's some way that they can be supportive? Great question. Or what's like the worst thing to say to someone? <laughs> <laughs> you can go over that too. <laughs> uh,
1: well, let's see. Well, for somebody
0: that's newly diagnosed, I mean, first
1: and foremost, I'm sorry, but, uh, but, you know, secondly, you know, you're going to be okay.
0: Mm-hmm. It's,
1: you're going to be okay. I think that before you worry about anyone else or anything or any job or any relationship, come to terms with it yourself. Work on your own relationship with this disease. Try and find out what it can give you. That can take a while. Mm -hmm. Took me a lot of years to figure that out. But know that that's a place you will get to eventually. But don't feel any sense of responsibility for anyone or anything else but yourself right now. I love that. And also find a doctor because this is going to be somebody you are going to be seeing a lot for a long time. Mm -hmm. Find a doctor that you vibe with because, you know, a lot of people I feel like just, answer and think doctors know everything and they don't and no one knows your body more than you so find somebody that you feel heard and seen by and
0: that you that really listens to you that's amazing advice like because i think that you're right a lot of people do think that doctors have all the answers and they're always right so they like abandon themselves and don't trust themselves in a doctor's office and that's is so important to be your own advocate yes
1: Exactly. Exactly. Be your own advocate. You know yourself more than anyone. And then look, I mean, I'm one example, but there's no reason to think you can't live a very full life. You know, yeah. I've fallen in love. I've had a lot of different relationships. People accepted me with this. I just, mm-hmm. you know, I just shot a, next to Sopranos, like job of my dreams and oh my God. was not felt to be made any less than than any other cast member. I have two babies. I'm independent. Like, there's no reason to think that life is over. Mm-hmm. And then for somebody that's living with somebody, I think when a somebody has a chronic illness, it's very much like everyone's disease in the sense that this is something we all have to deal with. I think that if you could just make it known that you are there for help, you want to help, please like ask me for help. I'm here. But don't inject your help all the time because mm. I have had this struggle with my husband and we've kind of gotten to a better groove with it where, mm-hmm. you know, he's always offering you, Jamie, you you need to pick up your right. Like you, this, you look stiff right now. And I'm like, uh. I know I can't feel like I'm being watched over all the right. time. I need to feel like I'm Jamie, your wife and not mm-hmm. Jamie, your wife with MS. So right. we need to figure out, where I can still feel like that girl, you know, you fell in love with. Yes, I know you love me so much and want to take care of me, mm-hmm. but I need to feel more than that. And so we have right. had to kind of go through a couple of bumps in the road till we've gotten to where he understands that... Um, I don't always need his input about it.
0: Yeah. It's like love languages, but help language. Yeah. Oh, I like it. (laughs) We need to find our help language. Yeah, that's
1: a good one. You need to do something
0: with that. It's it's trademarked right now. Yes, great. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break and we'll come right back. First of all, thank you for sharing that. Like, that's so powerful and you're so brave. And I don't know if it gets annoying that people call you brave because it's your life, but it's so important because there are people listening out there that have whatever their baggage is, and they feel like it's a reason that that they shouldn't be able to do what they want or yeah. become who they want to be. And I think hearing your story is so impactful and so important. Thank you, uh, you for know, that reason. And
1: it's kind of special. It's like what I was saying, kind of like what it's given me because
0: part of the reason why
1: and the reason why I love acting so much is because I love to tell stories that allow other people to feel seen and heard. And like, I Mm. love just connecting with people emotionally and just, you know, it's just such a privilege to do. And I feel like MS has allowed me to do that as Jamie, Mm.
0: not just an actress.
1: It's really just broken open my heart and my soul and allowed me to connect with people in such a deep way and has allowed me through my eyes to see people for their worth. Like I I said this in a group therapy thing recently, I was like, I feel like my superpower is I can walk into a room and tell every person what they bring. I can look at you and be like, this is what you're bringing to this room. And my lesson was to figure out what I bring. And I think that actually might be what I bring is because I, I don't have judgment. And I feel like, My friends told me this and my 27th birthday, my husband surprised me with all my friends, not my 27th, my 37th, with all my friends in my backyard. And it turned into this like impromptu thing where everyone just went around the circle and told me what I meant to them.
0: And it was so,
1: and my son was sitting there and all of them were just like, you are our safe place. Like you, we know that you don't judge us and you see us for." how like you always remind us of how amazing we are. And it's, it just, it meant everything to me because that's all you I are ever that set out person. to do. Thanks. You
0: are that person. No. And I really think that you can only be that person if you've seen some shit, yeah, you know, if you've been sure. through it yourself, because you see that people are so much more than whatever struggle they're facing. Mm-hmm. And to be able to connect with people like that and to be able to so many people don't have—I don't know if it's the confidence or what—but they don't have the ability to tell the people that they love why they love them or that well, that they love they them in the first Well, they need to
1: do work on their own self-love first,
0: right? Right. But I feel like you come from such a place of, yeah, we're all we all got shit, yeah. but so yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's just so unbelievable. Like let's just meet each other where we're at, which is yes. so amazing. And you really do that in so many different capacities for things like MS, you're that for moms with your podcast. You, that's so incredible that you have that gift and that now, you know, you have that gift. Thank you. Well, I mean, I just, I always try and just
1: keep it real. Like I never, you know, I'm trying to get better though. When I, when somebody gives me a compliment, like not being like, or somebody be like, that sweater's so nice. I'm like, thanks. I know I splurged on it. I normally don't buy expensive things. Like, I mean, no, fuck that. I bought this right. row sweater because I worked yeah. hard and yeah. I have the money to buy some <laughs> row cashmere. But, but that
0: works on the other side because also when people are like, what's that top? I'm like, it was three ninety nine. It was yeah, Zara. You want exactly. to see you? <laughs> yeah. totally. I'm like, I'm bad on both sides of the spectrum. Me too. We do. We okay, do. so what's a topic or concept you wish more women either in your industry, mm-hmm. like in the entertainment industry or in general should talk more openly about?
1: Mm. You know, I got this from, I just interviewed um, Mina Harris for mm-hmm. um, my Mama Said podcast and she has this book coming out called Ambitious Girl and she has this quote and it says, don't let anyone ever tell you who you are. You tell them who you are. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like as women, especially, I mean, that's such an important lesson. And I just like this, her book is for young girls, but I was like, I felt like it was for me. Totally. It was just so profound and so amazing. And I think that that's a wish I have that people can, you know,
0: understand and possess. Totally. Like just knowing that who you are is you decide exactly that it's up to you it's not up to other people so what does that look like for you is that like boundaries or
1: it's boundaries but i think it's walking into a room and not me wondering what you think of me
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's not that it doesn't matter but right. i'm not wondering like do you think i'm this like no i i am i know i'm this like yeah.
0: I well something yeah something i'm trying to practice that's similar is instead of walking to a room and saying do they like me i'm like do i like them mm, that's a huge one huge it's hard
1: it's very hard it's because it's hard. so many can, people could think it or in some ways in the past it's been defined as like obnoxious to be that way mm-hmm. like it's more
0: humble and kind to be the other way but no that's right. not kind to yourself no you just shrink yes. in the process yes yeah Okay, so what's a way that you're um, working on yourself these days? Are you in therapy? Is there something? Or you say you're in therapy. Is there something you're reading, taking antidepressants, health retreat, Al-Anon? What's going on? What are you improving these days?
1: Really? I've always dabbled with it, but now I'm like Addicted. Okay, like, what kind, sure. what time of day? What's your whole thing? I wish I had a specific time of day, but, you know, You're a mom. quarantine, COVID, yes. not mom <laughs> yes. life, not yes. conducive to that. But um, so I started out gentle. I started out, I downloaded um, the Deepak Chopra app, and I did mm-hmm. the 21-day abundance Challenge and it's a meditation every day for fifteen minutes.
0: That's a long time. Fifteen minutes. Well, he talks
1: for like the first nine, and I think like the last, you know. But
0: first of all, are you someone that can do stuff for like twenty-one days? Uh,
1: no, no.
0: Normally, I'm like the worst at this. But I committed to it. I was like, yeah, fifteen
1: minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do this, and. I saw a shift in my life, like the synchronicities that were happening because it became less about the stuff that I wanted to manifest and the things and more Mm -hmm. about like, just feeling it right now. Mm -hmm. So I, I did this exercise where I took out a journal and I wrote all the things I want to feel, right? All, mm-hmm. or all I wrote down all the things I want, right? So I'm mm-hmm. like, I want to do series, I want to run, I want to whatever, wear high heels, blah mm-hmm. blah blah blah. And then I went and I wrote, what would these things make me feel, right? Ah. So a new job would make me feel secure, make me feel proud, make me right. feel confident. Running, what would make me feel joy, freedom, grace, mm-hmm. all those things. Then I was like, okay where in my life do I have these already? Mm. Oh, I have security in my family and my husband and I have money and I have a home. Okay, like where do I feel confident? I feel confident as a mom, in my podcasts, in my friendships. So then I was looking at it being like, I already have all of these things. Wow. Were you prompted or did you come up with this on your own? It came from a bunch of different like teachings and learning and bits and pieces of- I'm
0: going to do this today. You you have to.
1: It's like all these different people that I've met and been inspired by and books that I've read. It's just like I pieced it all together. And then I would sit in meditation and be like, I'm fine. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what happens, I actually am so content. And it was the true- truest form of contaminant I've ever felt where I was just at peace. And literally this job that I just did showed up a few weeks later, like wow. the shit that started happening in my life. And I continually throughout it all was going to let it go. I'm letting it go. If it happens, yeah. if it happens, like I'm going to really keen to practice. And now I've gotten even deeper where, do you know who Dr. Joe Dispenza is? No, he's, I mean, he's just like, A magician earth angel in this world that, you know, talks a lot about, you know, the mind, body, brain connection that we have the ability Mm -hmm. to hear heal ourselves and Mm -hmm. all diseases have an emotional component to them. And and it's, and it's, it's more than just manifesting physical things. It's like becoming who you are and you be your greatest self. And I, I went to a small talk with him and a couple of other women, and I was just so inspired by him. And I've started doing his meditations that are 45 minutes long and they're so hard. And I only probably have like two to three days a week that I've had time to do it. But I told myself recently, I was like, I'm going to start setting an alarm at 530 because when you're, when you, they say scientifically, when you first wake up, you're still in that like theta, beta stage where if you meditate right when you wake up, like throw on your headphones, your earbuds, whatever, and meditate like that's, that's when it can really like deeply sink in. Yeah. And I mean, his is about becoming the, becoming the magnet to the things that you, that you want in life. Right. Your your emotions are the magnet. It's your feelings are the magnet. So if you're feeling gratitude, if you're feeling joy, Life will bring you things yeah. to feel gratitude for. And I had, I'll quickly share, I was talking about this last night with my husband and his boss. Mm-hmm. I wrapped this pilot last night, and no I didn't talk about MS with anyone. I figured they knew. I was obviously much slower every time we had to walk to set, this and that. And I truly, every moment that I was there, the entire time we were shooting, I felt so grateful. Wow. Like from the deepest depths of who I am like every moment I was just felt so grateful that I was there I loved every minute it was the first time I really didn't feel limited I felt supported it was I think it wasn't I think I've had other jobs where people supported me but I wasn't maybe allowing it was the first time I really like synced up with it yes and when I left yesterday and they wrapped me a couple of random People in the crew came up to me and they were like, Jamie, I just have to tell you, like when we would see that you were on the call sheet coming, would be like, oh, today's going to be an easier day because Jamie's here. And I was like, Aww. that's so nice. And they're like, yeah, because wow. you just, we felt like you, there was something you would feel when you were around where like, I don't know, we just felt like grateful. And yeah. they're like, and you're a fucking badass and like, you're an inspiration. And, you know, we didn't bring up the MS thing, but we know yeah. that there were times you were struggling, blah, blah, blah. And I just started bawling. But I was oh just my like, God. I think that I don't, I don't walk around thinking I'm a badass. Like the, yeah. I've got my thing. Everyone in there is dealing with something and they're a badass that they're showing up every day in their life. Like everyone's a badass. Right. Sometimes you're, a, my manager told me this. He's like, sometimes you're a badass just for getting out of bed and taking a shower. Like it's I don't true. give a shit. Like, Right, take the judgment off there, but I think it's because I felt that gratitude that right. that's but it's it allows you to have such connection, and so I think that that's just really been a huge shift, and I think it's kind of where I'm coming to, where and saying like knowing who I am, yeah, it's just really allowed me to connect to what I value mm-hmm. in my life, mm-hmm. how I possess it already, and that that's. What I, And I think that 2020 for a lot of people has kind of like cut the fat and just been like, yes. what makes me
0: happy? That's right. where I'm going to allow my energy to go. I mean, Jamie, that's incredible that you had this wrapping with the of the pilot that you just did. And it's like that's like the end of your movie. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's just like the closing scene. Like that's so beautiful that and that's all because of the work that you've done. You know, that's all because of the secrecy and, the, you know, mm-hmm. what I mean? that's because mm-hmm. that's because of it all like you've landed your home Aww. like in your body, which is so cool.
1: No, that's so sweet.
0: Well, with that, we're done, actually, which is crazy. <laughs> so I want to ask you first, where can people find you? Because I know everyone's going to want to hear more from you. Um, On Instagram,
1: I'm Jamie Lynn Sigler. On Twitter, I never go, but it's Jamie L. Sigler. But you're welcome to visit that. <laughs> yeah. if, if you like. My two podcasts are Mama Said and Pajama Pants.
0: Yes. So go listen to those and I'll see you later. Yes. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Well, this was so illuminating and I'm so happy Jamie joined us. Thank you guys so much for listening. You can follow me at Jade Iovine on Instagram if you want to continue the conversation. And I will see you back here next Tuesday.